0: With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Keep up with Team USA with gig speeds over Wi-Fi from Xfinity. Can your internet do that?
1: Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Requires gig internet and compatible gateway. Gig speed Wi-Fi is shareable across all devices. Actual speeds vary and are not guaranteed.
0: Xfinity, proud partner of Team USA.
2: Now, you're very welcome along to the Huddle Breakdown, a very special live version of the Huddle Breakdown, and a call here with you in the company of Juco James and Alan Morrison. We're going to be doing something a little bit different today. The season's over. There was no point in the midweek game against St. Johnston. There's no point in the game against Hibs this weekend. So what we're going to do is we're going to choose our player of the year, our young player of the year, our most improved player of the year, which is going to be an interesting one, I'm not going to lie to you, and our goal of the season. Alan, James, how are you getting on? Yeah, good, thanks. Hanging in there. Hanging in there. I think we're all hanging in there at this stage of the season. Listen, a lot happened with Celtic over the last couple of hours 24 hours last week Uh, a lot with the fans a lot with the board a lot of protests we're not going to talk about that we're not going to talk about it on the podcast because we said at the start of this podcast that we weren't going to get involved in that kind of conversation that we're purely going to be on field pitch football analysis so that's what we're going to stick with tonight we're going to plow through it and get to our player of the year our season end of season awards is what we're doing tonight so I guess we'll start with Player of the Year. David Turnbull got the Player of the Year from the fan vote on Twitter, and I'm not surprised that he got that. He would have been one of, up there with one of my choices. But, Alan, I guess you have done a bit more of an analytical dive into this, so I'll let you go first with your choice of Player of the Year.
3: Yeah, so this is really hard. <laughs> to be fair, <laughs> uh, not you know, in some ways it would be bad if there was one individual that was so far ahead of everyone else, but actually it's probably the opposite case. <laughs> um, so for, let, let me cut to the chase then. So first of all, I looked at kind of looked at defenders, looked at defensive players, and so, some interesting takeaways in doing that analysis is that surprise surprise, virtually every player. Um, has actually their performance from a defence, just from a purely defensive actions perspective, has regressed from last year, uh, almost by the same kind of factor. If you look, if you sort of plot it on a graph, if you like, um, and if you look at the players that have come in, uh, Duffy actually his defensive stats in in and off themselves are kind of okay. They're they're broadly synonymous with Simunovic last season, but of course his error rate was just out, out the window, so he's not he's not really a candidate. And then if you look at the other kind of New, new entry into the um, defensive uh, so setup would have been Welsh, but Welsh is really his defensive stats going kind to of trend quite well below the more established players. So yeah, all, that all goes to show really that we, we miss Julian so much. You know, he really was the, our top defender. Uh, and everyone's performance, I think, has suffered because of that. So he's one of those that fits into the, you know, almost the sort of player of the year by not being, by not playing category. If You see what I mean? <laughs> Same as Forrest, probably. Um, if you look at the other defensive players, are there any candidates there? Well, again, interestingly, um, Kenny probably just about outperformed Bauer from last year, if you want to make that that comparison. And as far as Laxalt is concerned, we would have as well to have kept Bolingoli because his defensive numbers were broadly the same. So, so Taylor's kind of regressed quite badly from a defensive perspective. So And Frimpong obviously left mid-season and his defensive numbers went went backwards about the same rate as everyone else's. So I'm not really seeing any kind of um, candidates in, in that one. Um, when you look at this sort of attacking and creative uh, metrics, you know, are there any standout players there? The short answer is no. And there's actually some quite interesting things that I found. There's one player who, chopped, who topped the charts in like four four key defensive, uh, sorry, attacking metrics. Uh, let me see if you can guess who it is. He had the overall highest, what I call attacking threat score, which is uh, like a, an aggregated set of metrics that is, I think is bespoke to me. So uh, mm-hmm. he, he kind of topped that one. He had the most touches in the box per 90 minutes. He had the best packing receive rates in terms of. Receiving the ball, uh, forward passes. Um, he had the best overall expected assists. Now that was boosted a little bit by one penalty win, uh, but I think, but he was third in expected assists in open play. Can you can you guess which player that was?
2: I'm gonna. <clears throat> it, it's one or two in my head. I'm gonna say <clears throat> Mohamed Elyounoussi. Nope. Ryan Christie. James,
3: nope. You only get one oh. guess, James. <laughs>
2: You're on mute, James.
1: Here we go. We're doing this live. I'm trying to uh, shield against <laughs> the, the dog factor. Um, my, my guess would be Eduard. I mean, that's...
3: No, it's a Jetty, you know? right? A, oh, a, a jetty. Jetty, right. Well, a limited number. So no, a he's had limited minutes, but it's so frustrating yeah. because if you see how well, you know, he's done on, on some of the k- absolutely key attacking metrics, you sort of think, yeah. well, why couldn't we have had more of that? But you know, I'm not obviously I'm not going to pick a my player of the season. But I just throw, throw that in as to how tricky this has been to actually pick one. Um, Turnbull, I know he won. He actually won it right on, on the the Celtic official uh, player of the season. But he, he he even with even with his set piece ability, he was only third in overall expected assists. And actually, when you take out um, that and just look at open play, he was only fifth. Um, so you know. Th- if you looked at pure output and pure attacking numbers and you removed all context from what you were looking at and forgot about last season, then you you'd, you'd vote for Edouard because he's clearly the most talented player. Celtic. Even even a, a barely interested Edouard is still post the best overall attacking numbers. But again, you know are you really I'm not really going to go with Edouard because he he, like he couldn't be bothered half the time. Mm-hmm. So So from a creativity perspective, it's a real mixed bag. You know, Rogic, Rogic actually had the best open play expected assists, but he hardly played. Turnbull had the best outputs from set play. Frimpong was miles ahead in terms of progressive runs. McGregor had the best progressive pass stats in the squad. And then Taylor um, also rates quite highly in some of these, but uh, but only against um, you know poor opposition. And then if you look at the strikers, again, a player that you wouldn't expect, uh, Griffiths, he maintains a certain level of uh, of threat and his is expected goals doesn't re- expect his expected assists together very rarely gets below about one, which is pretty high. But again, you know what's he actually done over the season? Not a lot. So what do we make of all this? <laughs> so I suppose um, you know, I think Turnbull probably won it because. He had the advantage of not having played last season to compare <laughs> against. And therefore, he couldn't evidence that he'd actually gone backwards. And I suspect that had a lot to do with it. But the player that I'm actually going to vote for is the one who was one of the few whose numbers actually improved. And he made a telling contribution and meaningful contribution throughout most of the season. And that's how we knew um, Now, you know, he... he, he he probably wasn't considered because he's, he's, a, he's a lone player and it's, a, it's actually quite embarrassing if you have a lone player when you're Player of the Year award. But, you know, he actually improved. Uh, his, his overall scoring contribution went up from about 0.86 to 0.92, so sort of quite modest. And his expected scoring contribution went up uh, modestly as well. But he overperformed in both seasons, which means he's either you know quite better than the average and quite good or lucky or both potentially as well. Mm-hmm. So by dint of the fact that he at least improved uh, and, and actually made quite a you know a, a good contribution to actual you know goals and assists as well, then that's where my vote would go. And I'm sorry that was all very convoluted but I thought there was quite a lot of interesting things there as to why this is a really hard decision.
2: Yeah no there's loads in there and one of the interesting things is about the the stats comparison is that you can actually see the st- same stats and come to a different conclusion. So I'm interested (laughs) to hear James's opinion on this. And if he came to a similar conclusion or a different one.
1: I think that all of these kind of, um, you know, most valuable player player of the year type of things are fun because they introduce so much, um, subjectivity and, uh, you know, there's different schools of thought in these things, right? So there's, you know, who, who contributed the most relative to making the difference between wins and losses. um, you know, who was uh, somebody that offered perceived intangibles, you know, leadership, that kind of thing. Um, uh, you know, y- you get in all kinds of confirmation bias, uh, com- as Alan suggested, comparing um, season over season, players that don't have that <laughs> anchoring that that uh, influences how people think. So um, I actually think there's a fairly clear person the way I think about these things. And I'm not saying that this is the way other people should or need to for sure. But I think that uh, the, the single player that uh, made the biggest difference relative to winning and losing, even given the the debacle that the season ended up being was, was Edward and um, to Alan's point um, you know, I it's hard to read people's minds and to really understand where they're at psychologically and effort levels, that kind of thing. Um, so when, when I just look at his output and I, you know, I've talked about this on prior episodes where we think about the context of chance creation declining about 20% across the league. Um, and a good chunk of that's probably systemic relative to, you know, the, Uh, The lockdown, the pandemic, the fixture congestion, Celtics output being somewhere like maybe down 23, 24 percent. I didn't update that over the last couple of games, so it's probably maybe a little bit um, better, maybe down 22 percent or something. Um, So when I look at Edwards output relative to that, he's he's down in the league, maybe about 14, 15 percent as far as XG, non penalty XG. Um, but if you look at across competitive games, you know basically everything but the the, the early season uh, um, friendlies, he's pretty comparable on the XG side, the non penalty XG side. Uh, now, again, this is through y Scouts. Alan's model might mm. be a little bit different, but its I'm, I'd be surprised if it's dramatically different. It's, a-
3: if you, Yeah, I've got, I've got his aggregated expected scoring contributions. That's expected goals plus expected assists. So well, assists he's thing, down
1: quite a bit, XA yeah, is down quite a bit.
3: It is. It is. You're, yeah. you're right. Uh, so he's down overall from about 1.2, which is kind of insane, really. So that's what we're saying is he's, would he would be expected to have contributed 1.2 goals and assists for 90 minutes, which is, you know, fantastic. Um, and he was way ahead of anyone else in the squad last season. He's dropped down to just over one, which is still fantastic. I agree with you. Yeti uh, yeah. was, was a fraction behind him, actually, in the limited right. number of minutes he played. Interesting, yeah,
1: yeah. So, I, I think that that is still by far the best output in the league, for example. Um, and, and sorry,
3: James, that's across all games, that's SFL, right. Europe, everything, right? So, he's maintaining that level in all the European games as well.
1: Yeah, and, and, and that's I, – I think that the – so what I did is I went back and I just looked at the the game since um, uh, Kennedy's come in and did some per 90s on that. And uh, um, magically, he's back up to one, four, 1.14 in total scoring contribution per 90 under, under the Kennedy tenure. And again, that's relative to um, – um, and I don't think he played in Falkirk's. So I don't think Fall Kirk's in his sample. Um, and it's about six games, so six games worth of ninety minutes. So again, it's not a huge sample size. The usual, you know, uh, warnings about small sample and all that. But I think it reflects the um, the issues and the question marks relative to the structural problems and attack. Some of the things that I think Kennedy should get credit for relative to, um, you know, addressing some of the patterns of play and kind of the, the coherence in uh, movement and, and uh, system that, that uh, took place under his, his uh, tenure. Um, and I think, you know, Edward, to a significant degree, benefited from that like a lot of the other. And I, that's the other thing. I think it probably also applies to Elianissi. I mean, if you look at his output, his averages for the season because of his low, relatively lower minutes, the explosion that he's had under Kennedy um, I mean, I, I can't even imagine when his numbers would be just in the Kennedy sample. It's probably crazy relative to his overall season numbers. Um, so just the overall attack for the team has gotten a lot better mm. um, un, under, under Kennedy's tenure against the harder schedule I mean, the two Aberdeen games. Uh, obviously the post split, um, you know, games against uh, top six teams um, and, and obviously the two, the two derbies. So, you know, I, I think, I think it's really hard to um, guess or guesstimate how much the early season issues. How do you delineate? I mean, the, the guy got COVID. How much did that impact it? Were there any you know lingering effects um, relative to that in the fall? Versus how much of it was just structural and the fact that our our attack was a shit show for the vast majority of the season, um, and he was a victim of that. And yeah you know, and, and um, the system not working relative to him. And, and, um, you know, I I think how much of it was him being disinterested? How much was him being frustrated because he was so isolated and not getting service and, you know, having guys shoot from 30 yards when he's open for a run. And, you know, the, the kind of the press, the, the, the pressing that started to take place that we've talked about a lot where guys were trying maybe too hard and trying to force things, including him, um, where people, you know, uh, justifiably, you know, some of the over dribbling and the running into uh, defenders and that kind of thing, trying to force things. And, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of that's gone away under Kennedy. Uh, now some of that might be because there was nothing to play for. The pressure was kind of off. Uh, so that's obviously factors that need to be considered. Um, but in that cauldron of the fall, when things were starting to really melt down and, you know, the managers throwing players under the bus for left and right. And, you know, all of the, the you know, uh, uh, p- players are getting stuff thrown at their cars in November and, or whenever that was. I mean, you know, it was a tough environment. Yeah. So um, I, I think it's tough to deline- delineate all of these things. So if you just look at his overall contribution, that's why I went with him. I think Al Unussi is a, a reasonable candidate. I think the issue for him, and again, this comes back to um, – philosophically on these types of things he, he didn't play that much which is an indictment of the, you know the leadership of the club which is insane that he wasn't uh you know a, a, a main piece to build around this season mm-hmm. if they were bringing him back given his quality um so i i don't have an argument with that one um i think it's a reasonable one i think edward is a reasonable one. Probably the least reasonable to me is Turnbull, (laughs) which is unsurprisingly the one that uh, the fans ended up picking. Not that he had a bad season or that he's a bad player, but you know, as Alan said, his output has been good, but nothing spectacular. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. I'd buy into Alan's theory that it is because he had no uh, decline from where he was last season compared to the other players. Austin Edward is an interesting one because there's so much going on with that, and it's one of those stories like Dembele, Dembele's that we'll find out the full truth once he's gone from the club about what was really wrong. And to be fair, if you ask me, do I want a player who looks disinter- disinterested and scores 21 goals in a season, or a player who looks very interested and doesn't score any goals at all, I'm taking the one that, go- that scores 21 goals. So Audison Edward has had a pretty decent season.
1: Well, that, Annette, that, Alan, what, what do you have on his aggregate XG, like total XG? um uh non non-penalty or penalty like it is do you have that total number not not his uh, goal. but why uh, scout has him?
3: It's, it's so this is all games right so his total XG yeah. like is so just bear with me is 0. 0.82 that's yeah, all, but all, it's
1: all right oh, sorry, but it's total,
3: total, total aggregate it's total. number like the 30 oh, or 20 at okay. least
1: 28 probably something in the 28 range
3: got it i um yeah no he's he's I've I've got the per ninety minutes that I've filtered right. for this conversation. Yeah, is so- XG per, per ninety minutes. He's under, yeah, he's underperforming, right? So his is expected scoring contribution is actually what um, uh, just over one, and his actual scoring contribution was about 0.8, 0.9. So this is this is what happened. This is sort of the, one of the things with Christie's. Like, if if someone if someone is actually underperforming, they're expected, which can can be because of just bad sheer bad luck. You still anchor onto that perception if you want to, and, and say they're having a crap season. And I, I proved this point with Christie. Is that his actual you know, attempts, long range shots, and all that sort of stuff was actually no less successful, really, than last season. It's just that he didn't score as many goals, <laughs> and so that, that the perception then forms that is, you know, he's he's terrible suddenly.
1: <laughs> yeah, and i I looked at uh, I looked at Mane this week just because of some of the talk that was coming up with him, um, and I think his. You know, he, his, he's a perfect example. His season, this uh, output this season, his XG is actually up. Like, I think he's at a, a, a career, at least a last six-year or six-season career high in output. It's just his finishing has been atrocious. Mm. His scoring rate is just way below what it could be. And I even went back and looked at a bunch of his shots. And it's, you know, a good number of them are good crosses that like they play a lot of. And uh, headers that just don't quite go in, you know, or keepers make good saves. And it's the margins on these things are so relatively tight in a single season that, you know, and that, that's why I raised that out. Is I mean, I think even with his output end of what was it, 23 goals he's got um, uh, or something like that is 21 I,
2: goals, I think. Yeah.
1: 21 in all competitions. You know, he could have four, five, six more fairly easily mm. just with normal variation. Um, I mean, think about how many shots he had that were, you know, right at the keeper or, you know, uh, where there were good saves against them. So, um, yeah, so I, and that, that's, that's been systemic for, for the club mm-hmm. most of the season, I mean, that there's just been some bad finishing that's, that's plagued us for the whole, the whole season or a good bit of it. Yeah.
2: So James has gone with Odds Edward, uh, Alan has gone for Moyele Unisey for his player of the year, uh, Plastic. Uh, CSC is going with IRE. Uh, Robbie Smith says that if Sorrow was given more games recently he would have been player of the year this season. And Stuart Bain is asking, what is with the stats? Get this American's cr- uh, numbers crap out of our game. Well, I think the uh, explanation around Alison Edward <laughs> and so why he, why, it, why it means that he's underperforming is why we, we're, we're using these stats. And Stuart, you're clearly a new person to this show. So strap in. It's good. There's a lot more stats coming down the line. I'm going to go with and this is uh, probably unsurprising given uh, my ra- track record on this podcast. <laughs> I'm going to go with uh, Christopher Eyer as my player of the year. Okay. And I, I, you know, like I actually agree in theory with James's selection because if Celtic do not have odds in Edward, like I said, they're not, that's 21 goals they <clears throat> they don't have. And outside of him, they didn't have any goal goalscorers, at least they weren't playing them. But outside Christopher Eyer, that defense is. League Two quality potentially, if you look, if if, it, if it's uh, Greg 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 Taylor, <laughs> Stephen Welsh, uh, John Joe Kenny, and then who else you who else you putting in there? That that defense isn't surviving in most of the big leagues. And Celtic, if they want to measure themselves off Champions League quality without Christopher Iyer, that defense is absolutely atrocious. So that's why I would go with him as the player of the year because I think he's been incredibly important in a year where Celtic have really struggled. Let's move on to the young player of the year. So I, I'm i not really sure what the criteria is for young player of the year, but we'll say under 23, under 20, 23 or, or lower. Uh, does that qualify as a young player? I suppose it does.
3: I, th- I think, and I'm not, I'm sure I'm not
2: completely accurate,
3: but I think it's, if you're 21 within that season, then you qualify. So you might be players are 22 now so in actual fact this is probably going to be a relatively short conversation because there's. Only, as, if you look at players who've actually played any substantive number of minutes at all there's only really two candidates which is welsh and, and turnbull there, there are no other real candidates uh, that you know that have turned out in any in any mm. degree um well welsh as i've mentioned before actually has has the um his his thing is he's been very very consistent performer. and consistency is something, is is a word to throw out there. Try to measure consistency before using sort of regression type analysis. And I think I probably need to look at that a bit more. But my my takeaway on him is he has he has he he's not for a young player. He's not his performance hasn't gone up or down a huge amount, and he's also relatively error free compared to a lot of the defenders that we've got. Um, but his but his basic defensive numbers, the sort of the critical metrics that I use to assess defenders, which I, th- I think the when you map that and it matches the I test pretty well, he would be ranking sort of just slightly below the the middle class. What I call the middle class of recent Celtic central defenders. So think of the likes of your Newsviachenkos, and, and your Boyata. Boyata probably slightly above that, but and well should be low. And it's all down to. Um, his relative weakness in, in aerial challenges, because you know, on the ground, you know, he's he's relatively strong, he's decent, you know, he keeps the ball well, he doesn't give it away, he's relatively error error free, but he just he, he just loses uh, a lot of aerial challenges, and that brings his his metrics down down a fair bit, which again may not be an issue in even it may not be an issue in European football, but it's certainly an issue in Scottish football in terms of you know losing losing those types of challenges. But having said that i think there's still a lot for him to be to be pleased about in terms of his performances but the other the other you know the other um, candidate turnbull i think you know at the other end of the pitch uh, i think i've covered a lot of his kind of key stats as well he did have the sort of highest overall scoring contribution in the squad and i think you know 0.64 goals and assists per 90 minutes is a is a very good output for a, a young midfielder really uh, and you know we saw some of that in motherwell but to re- reproduce those those numbers uh, on 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 the stage at Celtic, uh, in the context again of pretty incoherent selection going on around him, and then even himself alternating between a, a sort of ten role and an an eight role, um, I think you know he 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 would certainly out of those two be the one that I think would deserve that young player uh, yeah. award.
2: Yeah, I, I I think this is a fairly easy one because I mean it's a it's a it's outstanding that David Turnbull didn't make it into the team until. Mid December, really, that you know he was deemed not fit enough, despite <laughs> you know several other players looking in- incredibly unfit on the pitch and David Turnbull sitting on the bench. And who knows, he may not have been fit or, or, or not. But he, I, I'm just going to say he is my young player of the year, James. Uh, I suggest giving your uh opinion on Stephen Welsh and his new contract, you're not giving this to Stephen Welsh.
1: I actually I think it would be closer than you might guess. Uh, I mean, I I don't think it's, I don't think Turnbull's a... um... Buying a home can feel like navigating uncharted waters. Redfin agents can help. They'll answer your questions with honest advice so you know exactly what you're getting into. They'll also help you tour as many homes as you want and show you what it takes to make a winning offer. With a Redfin agent on your side, you can sail straight to your dream home. Local expertise from Redfin,
0: that's real estate done right. Tour subject to property and agent availability. Virginia Office Falls Church VA
1: 844-759-7732. You know, a runaway winner relative to Welsh. Because again, I, I echo most of what Alan has said. Um, you know, it, it, it's, uh, if there was a most improved player intra-season, I'd give it to Welsh. Because, <laughs> cool. um, he, you know, he's really just... Uh, he, he's been impressive in a lot of ways. It's just a question of inherently whether or not he's at the level that Celtic need within the context of being a, a competitive team in Europe, you know, so that that's my threshold. This it's goes back to what's your benchmark and how do you do these things? Uh, um, you know, so it's, it's a no way. Am I critical of, of Welsh? It's strictly is, is he good enough for a high level that we're, we're aspiring to. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm going with Turnbull simply because of the, the, the total contribution. Um, but again, I think it's very close. I think given what Welsh was thrown into and how he performed and his reliability within that context, and Alan's point of, of, uh, relative consistency, I mean, he had some mistakes. He's a young player. I mean, he's going to have some issues. Um, but overall, I, you know, I think uh, Welsh deserves a lot of credit. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll, I'm going Turnbull just because, you know, as, as we've talked about, he, he's he got something about him that's, you know, as I, I've talked about in the past, uh, when I kind of screen look through players, I look for outliers, things that just stand out and say, oh, that's that that's weird. Like Frim Pong's running did in and I cited on earlier shows where he had the highest level of progressive runs in all of Europe um, on a, on a per 90 basis. So T- Turnbull's set piece deliveries are, you know, that kind of outlier, um, and, and his ability on the ball, um, is that kind of outlier. And, and I think potentially we'll see if it's sustained. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the fact that he didn't play all that much and he's had some fitness issues and he's had, different systems to play in and all this fluidity around him. And he's still at his age, been able to put up the kind of output that he has, I think is pretty, pretty uh, significant. So I, I'm, I'm interested to see how he fits um, with, you know, maybe the the, the incoming how regime we'll see uh, yeah. maybe next week.
2: We shall see. Hopefully we'll, hopefully we'll, we might have news on that in the next week or so. I've been, I feel like I've been saying that for the last three months, four months. Brown, and- you've been, yeah. uh, You've been in the movie Groundhog's Day. Yeah, I'll tell you. I, I, I want to give a special mention to Caramenko uh, Dambelli, who scored his goal and in what was it his his first was it his first home game uh, for the senior team, and he managed to grab a goal despite not being allowed to play this season. And give a shout out to Luke O'Connell as well, who's absolutely flying it out on loan. Uh, it's just a pity that we didn't get to see them all that often this year for Celtic. So it, it would have been nicer to see if there were four to five different, and I do think Celtic should be setting the standard that they should have four to five different young players who are, who are battling it for the, the young player of the year award. because I mean, there were how many dead rubber games that they were playing Lee Griffiths off the bench where they could have been playing Dembele or or somebody else in, in a different position. Let's move on to the most improved player, because this is going to be a tight one. This is going to be a difficult one because <laughs> I, I genuinely can't think of one single player that's improved this year. So Alan,
3: Prove me wrong. No, no, no. I I, I can't really. I mean, I I think I've. I've, It came down to two really that we've covered already. One from a sort of senior player perspective was El Unusi, who's the only one whose numbers really went up from last year in any meaningful way, and actually was you played enough games to make a, a contribution. Uh, and then, then the other one would be would be as, as James just mentioned would be would be Welsh because really, you know, you, you, although he was in and around the squad, he he'd never really no one ever really th- thought we'd end up with Stephen Welsh at centre back versus a substantive part of the season. Um, but such has been the litany of injuries at that position as it always seems to be with Celtic, and then you know decisions to move others out on on loan and so forth that you know suddenly he's been, been thrust in, and so and 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 you know. I think he did play maybe one game last season, and actually right back, and he, I thought he looked steady enough, but without being amazing. Um, yeah, I would say probably Welsh. If you had to push me, is probably the one that's improved the most, really, to be able to hold down a place. Because even when Bitten Bitten has been fit, you know he's not he's not automatically been brought back in to mm. replace him. So I think that's kudos to Welsh for holding that place down, not against admittedly not a huge amount of competition. But yeah. Yes. yeah.
1: So this is such a hard one. So, you know, it's kind of throw something against the wall, <laughs> given the context. Um, so while there, there's definitely some season over season issues, uh, mine's going to be a little more subjective with um, Greg Taylor. So, you know, I, I, I've i been on record for a long time now that he's, sh- you know, really shouldn't have replaced the bowling goalie. Again, maybe there's something off the field um, after the, the, the late December uh, derby and I think it was, was it 2019 or so many years bleeding together now, uh, December 29th game, uh, which was basically the last game of the bowling goalie era <laughs> of any significance. Uh, so was not a fan of that decision. And, you know, he's got his limitations and um, but I, I think there's been significant improvement in his game um, relative to some of his decision-making. He's still, uh, at a certain level relative, basically outside of the top three or four teams in the league, uh, is a really productive player. and and um, you know, I, I don't think he's ever gonna be able to grow more or get terribly quicker or faster. Um, but I did I think I've seen a, a decent amount of improvement in him taking on men this year. still not at a level that we probably need. Um, but at a level where, you know, let's say last season I was chronicling how he wasn't able to get by St. Johnston's backup right back one-on-one. I mean, that, that was literally the level that he was at at times and not being able to get around and beat a man um, where I think he accomplished that quite a bit this year. Not as much as we'd like or we need at higher levels, but, um, you know, some of his metrics, you know, defensive metrics are going to be down with almost everybody. And a lot of, again, I would argue a lot of that's systemic. Um, so I, I, am going to give it to Greg Taylor because I, you know, I don't think anyone's going to, anyone reasonable anyway, w- would question his work ethic or the effort that he puts in. Um, and I think he deserves some credit cause it looks like he's actually improved himself quite a bit.
2: Yeah. I'd, I'd have Greg Taylor in the same sort of boat as Jesse Lingard and what Jesse Lingard is doing with West West Ham right now, where you, you take him from, the top club in the league. Obviously Manchester United is, are not the top club in the league at right now, but they're a super club and you drop him down just a tiny little bit and he stands out as a, a really, really good player. And I think if you did that with Greg Taylor, if you took him out of the Celtic team and put him into a Hibs side or a St. Mirren or a Livingston or someone like that, he would stand out as one of their best players. But he's just not good enough to be a standout Celtic player. He's good enough to be a bench player, good enough to be a squad player, just probably not good enough for that, next level that's required to be a league winner with Celtic I, w- I will go with Stephen Welsh as well because again young lad thrown into a really difficult situation in a really difficult season in the position where Celtic have struggled the most and I think he held himself well as well as you would expect for a player of his age to hold himself and <clears throat> again he may not be good enough we may find out, out, out in the next couple of years but I do think he he held himself quite well in uh in in the games that he was in especially i mean there was the, the the derby game i think might have been his first or second game and uh he he was thrown straight into it so did quite well i, I think stephen welsh is deserving of the uh most improved player of the year we'll finish off with the goal of the season now the, uh, this is all competition drive because i've chosen mine i said the league um who wants to go first here? Because I, I, Alan, I gave you, you the, the first pick in the last couple of rounds. So I'll I'll give James the first pick in the goal of the season.
1: Yeah. So just to prove that I can be conformist, um, I am going to go with uh, Soros and it it's, it's not, this is more qualitative than uh, any kind of analytical thing. I just found it absolutely delightful. Not only from um, how he reacted, the, the sheer joy that took place it was a fun thing to, to witness and experience as a, as a supporter and a viewer. Um, but also what it represented <laughs> I in, in an irony sense, um, relative to uh shot selection for the team all season. And having looked at his historical data when I first, when we first signed him and, you know, the guy does not shoot <laughs> and, uh, the, the response he had going over to Lennon and it seemed pretty clear that he had been given instructions that he should be shooting more, <laughs> you know, have a go when you get close enough. Uh, and he Shoot did. And it a, yeah, it was, it was an incredible shot and it was a great goal. And that joy was uh, I think one of the most authentically positive moments of the season from just a human level, yeah, the, the smile yeah. on his face. Was- yeah. And, and, and just that the, you know, going over to Lennon and, that in, that interaction you know we just didn't get enough of that this season unfortunately um so the totality of that and it probably was. Well, i mean alan might have it. i didn't look it up i mean the xg on that was probably like yeah. 0.02 or
3: 0.02 <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah yeah so it was so, one, yeah. one of those where uh you know uh was not a great decision but <laughs> loved it anyway
2: alan your thoughts
3: yeah so let's i thought i'd have a bit of fun with it in a really nerdy statty way and say you know how would you assess a goal of the season? What are the different criteria you could bring? This, I'm going to make this as boring as I possibly can. <laughs> so, one one of the things I thought is, um, you know, what was actually the most? What, can you can you say what was the most important goal in terms of the context of a match? And I actually do believe it or not, I have a stat for that. So uh, there is a there is a stat that's quite common currency. Which is called expected points, and expected points in, in common analytical circles is actually the number of points that you would have got in the league had expected goals for and against gone as expect gone gone as the expected goals said, not what, how they actually went. The expected points in this context is slightly different. It's to say, obviously, you start off the match uh, with with one point, right? At any game, you start off the point match with one 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 point. If you were to score a goal in the first minute how many points does that add to your one towards your, your maximum of three? You see what I mean? So obviously the later you score a goal, let's say it's nil-nil, and you score a goal in the 90th minute, whereas you're currently sitting on one point for that match, you know, in terms of you know, logically, uh, um, if you score the 90th minute, there's very little time for the opposition to uh, respond. Therefore, that's clearly a very, very incredibly valuable goal. And in fact, a, a, a shot that goes in in the 90th minute at nil-nil, is worth 1.6 expected points uh, because you still, you still, it, it, you've still got those occur- occurrences where people then go up the other end and score themselves. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not like um, you're not like jumping from one to three. So 1.6 expected points, actually two goals fall into that category. I figured out if you can remember them both. Uh, one of them was um, El Unissi's winner in Riga, which is important because that was a one-off European game. And that, and that was crucial for Celtic making progress in Europe. And the other was um, Griffith's uh, away at St. Johnson, where we were still actually in contention at the league It was quite early in the season and we got a very late winner um, and and that and that kept a bit of momentum because there was some decent form earlier in the season so that those 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 are, from a context perspective I think uh, are important um, The other way to look at it is is I think we're, we're you know the sorrow the sorrow goal which is the, the sort of traditional Match of the day, you know, long-range, unexpected goals. So which goal was actually had the lowest expected lowest expected goals? was the least expected to go in. Celtic actually scored around uh, six goals from that sort of area throughout the season. And Soros was the one that was picked. But the one that I would have picked uh, out, of the, out of the 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 Celtic um, TV uh, offering was actually uh, of, of, of a similar XG would actually have been Christie's against Aberdeen. Uh, had a very similar xg i think it was aesthetically more beautiful and in the context of the game a cup semi-final and it was the game-breaking goal uh i would have i would have gone for that one off of off of those um but that, 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 that isn't I'm, 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 that isn't my goal this season okay. I, i'm gonna I, i'm gonna carry on <laughs> right the other, the other the other the other the other um other criteria you're, you're like
1: thinking. my wife at a restaurant alan can, yeah, can yeah. you just
3: order already i've, I've not even been drinking the, um <laughs> The other the other criteria that I think is quite interesting is is actually con- is considering the, the context of the pass as well as the goal, so the assisting pass and the goal together may, make it potentially the goal of the season. And so, has there been a, has there been a player that's taken out every single member of the opposing team in providing that assisting pass? So essentially, you know, you, we're, I'm sitting here with ten players between me and the goal and I found a teammate who's then scored taking out the whole team with one pass and that actually happened twice happened uh, Jul- Julienne, uh passed to El Unissi for the first goal against uh, Reykjavik in that 6-0 win that was actually a, took it to 1-0 and actually McGregor um, McGregor did it when he took out the whole Livingston team in finding Bitton uh, in that draw but unfortunately Biton that. was slightly offside so I'm going to discount that one so in that spirit, my goal of the season was on the um, Celtic uh, supporters' six choice of six. And it was the goal that McGregor scored at Aberdeen. And the reason that I've picked it is because it involved three pieces of superb technique in, together, under pressure, at pace. And that was Rogic's pass, which took out 10 of Aberdeen's players. It was McGregor's movement. He, he hit the ball he, he 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 went onto the ball at pace, and his finish was superb. So, because there was three superb pieces of technique together and a killer pass, then that McGregor goal against Aberdeen is uh, is my goal of the season.
2: Yeah, that's a I, I comprehensive, lost all, <laughs> comprehensive breakdown of the the goals. I am going to say that it is um, my my one for sure is Ryan Christie's in the in the cup against Aberdeen. And the reason being is I think it combines everything that is is great about a goal in the season. And I think goal of the season, it flies in the face of everything that you guys do in terms of the long-range shots and the unexpected. The best thing about these goals is that they are unexpected. They don't normally go in. And in in many ways, they are quite lucky. Ryan Christie's was aesthetic to watch. It was completely uh, unexpected and probably shouldn't have been scored. And it me- it meant something. It really was an important goal because yeah, without that goal, Celtic don't go on and secure the quadruple treble. So uh, it was a hugely important goal for Celtic. And uh, as much as some people want to whitewash the importance of that quadruple treble, the quadruple treble is an insane thing to do. It's an insane achievement for any club to do in any league. So I think it's, just, uh, right, it's quite right,
3: difficult to do as well.
2: <laughs> it is. It seems like it. Is, it's almost as if it's difficult enough. Yeah. to actually secure all three trophies. And and I mean, people have tried to whitewash dominant teams for years. People are still trying to tell me that the United 99 travel winning team weren't weren't all that great. I, I had an argument actually with my friends about uh, the United team because they said that David Beckham, uh, they said Paul Scholes, and they said Ryan Giggs were all overrated. So that means that three out of the four travel winning midfield were overrated <laughs> as, as players. So what a coincidence that is. And I think people will start try to whitewash Celtics achievement because of the quality of opposition, but consistency over that level for that length of time is insane for me.
1: Agreed. I, yeah. I, I want to interject, some, interject something uh, relative because it is a goal that I think um, doesn't get discussed too much. And I think it's an interesting uh, question relative to a theoretical alternate history which is if uh, El Unussi doesn't score that goal against Riga, um, that very possibly ends up in penalty kicks. Uh, and if Celtic do not win that game and do not qualify for Europe at all, what would have happened uh, relative to Lennon's tenure, relative to the financial implications of that and the transfer window? Um, so that that was a massive goal in mm. many ways. I mean, um, and it was you know, it was a fairly good one too. But uh, I, I, that's a great shot from Allen. I think it yeah. was a was a an overlooked goal for the season.
2: Ryan Ryan Christie scored an absolute screamer against Frank Farros as well in the first leg, didn't he? yeah it was a hit I'm sure Kim at the
3: box yeah Can I, yeah because
2: yeah. i i remember I, was, I was sort of eating my words because I was giving out that Ryan christie was playing off front and then he he pulled that one out of his bag i was i was i was I was obviously happy, but then then what happened in the second leg is is not not so not not the happiest memory I have, so before we finish up then anything you just want to finish on we've we've picked our player of the year, so there's um there's i went for Chris Fryer, James, you went for Oddson Edward. Alan, you went for Moyel Yunusi. Young player of the year, David Turnbull slash Stephen Welsh. Stephen Welsh was the most improved player. Uh, James went for Greg Taylor, which I think some of us are surprised by, but we'll, we'll leave him to it. And goal of the season, Alan, remind me what yours was. That was the Christie. Sorry. I was, you weren't listening. When,
3: when did you stop listening to me? It was the McGregor, uh couple against Aberdeen McGregor, McGregor the, Rogage, yes. the, the Rogage killer pass. I, sp-
2: I spoke to, I spoke to him uh, much about Ryan Christie. That's why I forgot it was, it was McGregor James. Yours was again. Uh, well, sorrow for goal of the year. Yeah, yeah sorry, And, sorry, I, sorry. and
1: I, I, I want to just mention something. And again, this is not me. I've seen other people say it. So this is ha- absolutely not an original thing, but I think there should be a club award for uh, John Paul Taylor of the SLO um, given the mess that he's had to deal with this season and the absolute nightmare that the support has become for a variety of reasons, a lot of them legitimate. Um, but speaking of a man who's been in the midst of just, you know, having a tough job um, and doing it in, in a uh, respectful and, and uh, classy way is at least what mm-hmm. I've seen. I've never, I don't know the man, I've never engaged with him personally, but uh, just in seeing how he, he treats other people and, deals with his job i mean just a heroic person at the club so they ought to give him a lifetime achievement award just for the last 12 months
2: yeah well from what i've seen from it it's he can like sort of calm down any supporter by just being really polite
3: what and whatever you can almost i can absolutely guarantee that whatever you see on a public forum like twitter in terms of interactions there will be 10 times as much behind the scenes that you do not see and a lot of it will not be pleasant i'm sure so yeah, mm. it's a great show.
2: Yeah, that's is, that's is an absolute great show because again, <laughs> it's not his fault, and I think that, I, it actually comes into the uh, the conversation that we said we weren't going to have, and that was um, the communication between the club and what's happening is that he was left deal with most of the shit. He did it quite well, and when you deal with it in a p- polite, respectful manner, in a in a way that doesn't sort of push the fans away in uh, like, oh, who are you to have any opinion on the club? Then the fans generally respond well to that. It's almost as if it's a good PR move to have someone communicating well with the club. Who'd have thought? Anyway, that was enough for this season. That is the season awards on the Huddle Breakdown. Hopefully, and again, I said this about four weeks ago that Eddie Howe might be appointed by next week that we might have something to talk about. But if if not we'll do our end of season review and the review of the shit show that was the season for Celtic. But until then, thanks for watching the first ever live version of the Huddle Breakdown and we'll chat to you next week.
0: Hi, welcome to the UPS store. Yeah, I'd like to ship this package. Great, I can help you with that and every other ing.
3: Did you just say every other ing?
0: Printing, packing, copying, faxing, freighting. Any ing your small business needs. Shredding. Yep.
2: Mailboxing. Uh huh. Notarizing. That too. Wow, that's really some ing.
0: Now you're getting it.
2: The UPS store. Every ing for small business. And of course, shipping. The UPS store franchise locations are independently owned and operated. Services, pricing, and hours may vary. See Center for details.